to do now. Okay. So hello, Dr. Michelle Fanestel. I am so happy to welcome you to this, our first season for the American Association of Food Safety and Public Health Veterinarians. This is episode eight. And this is really just the luck of the draw in some ways, because we're going to uh, just kind of segue from uh, our previous episode on number seven, where we talked about Army veterinarian, Dr. Laura Rotsfeld, and the different ways to be, get into the Army. And I see you took the third way, which is not, maybe it is maybe the best kept secret way. I don't know. But, um, but I want to start really with what uh, first of all, where are you located? That's that's always my favorite thing to start with. Where are you living right now? So hi there. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, and home right now is outside Cleveland, Ohio. I'm in Strongsville. Oh, okay. And you just, didn't you move there just like this around this year, something like that last yeah, year? Yeah, mm -hmm. as we're recording this, it's the spring of, uh, it's the spring of 22. Uh, and we moved uh, during the pandemic in the spring of 2020 and came out here and we lived in a rental apartment in Cleveland and then moved into our house in September. So we managed to miss most of the house buying craze. We got in kind of beforehand. Thank you. Oh, heaven. true. Yes. Yeah. That would have been so bad. Yeah. And so are you in a rural setting or a city or what would you call it? We are in the suburbs. So okay. we moved from the woods of Maine uh, into suburban Cleveland, Ohio. I have a postage stamp lawn uh, that it's going to take somebody 15 minutes to mow. My house is so much less work. The land is so much less work. We have so much more free time now that I'm not managing four acres and timber and animals and eggs and <laughs> fencing. Yeah. And you know, everybody has that part in their life that that is something they're trying to go for and then others experience and they're like, okay, no, I'm ready for change or yeah. what have you. But, um, but really that when you talk about having, you know, a lot of animals that you were taking care of, I, I guess that brings me really to the next question is why did you want to become a vet or tell me a little bit about that, that uh, journey to, to sure. becoming a vet? So I was not one of those kids that wanted to be a vet when they grew up. I went to college wanting, well, when I was a little kid, I really wanted to be an astronaut. Totally. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> really wanted to be an astronaut. Um, and then I, um, I graduated with a degree in economics and geology out of college, not a natural path to veterinary medicine. Not at all. No. <laughs> and then what ended up happening is, is we had an elderly cat that got diabetes oh, yeah. and our vet took like three months to diagnose him and I was like I I can do better than this and in the process of trying to learn about and manage feline diabetes and yeah. talking to other vets I did you know what you're supposed to do and be like super exploratory about what do I want to do when I grow up because I was, I had, I had just come home from the Peace Corps. So I'm a returned Peace Corps volunteer. Oh, I had no idea that you yeah. had done Peace Corps. I have a good friend who did. She wasn't a veterinary student or a veterinarian, but she loved the experience so much. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, I can't say that I loved my experience. Mm -hmm. We were in the Middle East. I was Peace Corps Jordan 1. Okay. I worked in a Palestinian refugee camp and it was challenging. Mm. <laughs> That's tough. 
yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, I came home and I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know what to, I don't know. I was like, I don't know what to do. I was temping. It was the internet boom, boom years in the late nineties. And I, um, I wanted to figure out what I was going to do. And I was balancing, do I want to go for a medical career or do I want to go get a doctorate in geology? Because I love rocks. Like I super love rocks. And uh-huh. I thought about it and I talked to people and I looked at the job market and to yeah. be a PhD in geology, I knew I was not cut out to be in academia. Okay. And and then, and you know, and so PhDs in geology go and work for oil and gas companies. Well, I had done that already and I really didn't want to go do that. Mm-hmm. And the field of like environmental sciences and stuff like that really kind of hadn't been invented yet for geologists. It was mostly true. Ge- so that time frame was around when? Uh, it was the uh, turn of the century. It was, it was, you know, year 2000, Y2K. <laughs> remember all that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We were all preparing for it. Yeah. And when, and so I was looking at, you know, what are my options? And I, and I, um, decided on veterinary medicine through this journey with my cat, I went and I shadowed veterinarians and I did all the, I did all the things and I loved it. I loved medicine. I love the diagnostics. Um, Yeah. Diagnostics, you know, it's that, that mystery. And, yeah. and to yeah, solve that's... it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I didn't realize for a very, very long time that I was kind of going through my diagnostics with clients and, and some of them loved it. They'd be like, Oh yeah, this is going on. And I'd be, oh, okay, then what about this? And we have this big question and answer thing that would take quite a time. Right. And then, and then it was like, yeah, then mystery solved and hero. And you had the end of the story and there you go. So, uh, so then you were living where and applied to which college? Okay. So at that time I was, when I decided I was going to do this, I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts with all of my girlfriends from college. I went to college outside Boston and, um, and I had another friend who had come home from the Peace Corps as well. And we like, were like, we should live together and figure out what we're going to do when we grow up. Because it turns out you come home from the Peace Corps and you don't get to be a Peace Corps volunteer your whole life. You spend most of your life being a returned Peace Corps volunteer. Interesting. Okay. All right. It defines you. It yeah, you. Okay. it did. It really did. Like my goal was to be a Peace Corps volunteer right. for, for as long as I could remember. And then I was, and then I was done. Now what? Now what? <laughs> yeah, now, now what? Right. So we lived in Cambridge. Uh, I was working for an internet consulting company because uh, we had those back then. And I was trying to convince banks and insurance companies to go on to this neat little thing called the World Wide Web. <laughs> and I gave up when an insurance company we were card, card, like courting to do their web strategy was like, we're going to buy everybody Ford Explorers instead. <laughs> and, and instead of okay. having a real web strategy, right. They were going to have like a landing page and the web uh, page on the side of the Ford Explorers. I was like, whose brother owns the Ford dealership? <laughs> You're ahead of your time. Let's just say yeah. And you still are. Keep going. Tell still us what happened. Right. Yeah. I am a unicorn. Uh, so I looked at that and I looked at the opportunities in medicine and I was like, yeah, nope, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I quit my job. 
um, I had talked to the people at Tufts and I'm going to, I'm going to admit something we're not supposed to say as veterinarians. I graduated from my undergraduate degree. I was one of 10% of my class that did not get Latin honors. Now I graduated from undergrad with a two, seven, five. How did you get in? <laughs> two, seven, five. <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay. So you had somehow you got an interview. I did. And so I went, I talked to the people at Tufts. Uh, okay. Um, and I, I will say my undergrad degree is from Wellesley, which allows me to think anybody will talk to me and wants me as a student. I'm not going to lie. I, cause that's a thought I go through life with everybody wants me as a student because it happens to be true. Okay. And I went, I talked to Tufts and they're like, yeah, that undergrad degree, that, that undergrad is not very good, but you also didn't take most of the science classes. Right. And right. we kind of don't care what you got in the distribution. So I was right. like, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so I gave myself a challenge. I said, okay, well, if I go to take undergrad freshman chemistry and I get an A, I will know that this is the path for me. I am cut out for it. And then this is what I will pursue. And if I didn't, then I will find another job and I will figure something else out. Mm -hmm. So I, it was Easter weekend, 1999. I announced to my parents, I was quitting my job and I was yeah. going to go take, I'm a trust fund baby. Um, so I took my trust fund money. I'm very privileged in that respect. I took uh, some of my trust fund money and I enrolled in Harvard continuing education. Um, so okay. Harvard, the Harvard Extension uh -huh. School yeah. is the best kept secret in higher education. You can get an entire Harvard degree uh, through the Extension School. And is it, you- is, Okay, is that something that's online now? Um, I have absolutely no idea. I okay. haven't that looked at it. might be worth looking is. into, but still yeah. the extension. Okay, for and it's Harvard. all Harvard professors. It's all Harvard yeah. TAs. I took it at the Science Center on the Harvard campus. Um, and it is, it was, I mean, it was a dream to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, so I was living in Cambridge. I was up by MIT and I would bike down to the science center for seven o'clock Monday morning. I would study for an hour. I would go to class. So I took eight credits of freshman chemistry in eight weeks. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was a do or die test. That's fair. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. But I mean, what better test can you have than right. can I hack it in vet school? Oh yeah. Because I did talk already about how they've they shortened the semester, you know, oh, a semester of regular college is now a module that is four to six weeks of right. vet school. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we were, we were doing that in, in the early 2000s at Georgia. We were like this first or second okay. class to go through that. It was lots um, a nightmare yeah go ahead yeah. <laughs> a yeah. Lot. oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. so that's what i did so i did eight credits of harvard freshman chemistry in eight weeks and wow. the question okay. was would i get an a if i got an a then i would go forth and do this and i got an a <gasps> Yay! i got an a well, I did, obviously but still it's a good story <laughs> right yeah. i did chemistry 90 hours a week oh. like i 
ate and slept and dreamed and like I I can't eat Annie's mac and cheese anymore because that's all I ate that summer well you know the truth is if you get yourself in that mindset and that flow and you really immerse then organic chemistry if you hit after that should be a little bit more palatable yeah yeah it absolutely no it totally was and so I um so then what happened that summer is I was like, well, I'm doing pretty well. I'm getting A's. My professors like me. I'm really good at chemistry. It turns out I'm really good at chemistry. That was, that was, that was part of it. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I started looking at vet schools. Okay. But I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And so what are my choices? Tufts, Penn and Cornell. Uh, and I looked at them and I looked at the price tags. Now, mind you, this was in 1999 and the okay. price tags were like, oh my God, uh, how uh-huh. am I ever going to pay this back? So I well, don't looked- forget you had that economics for your undergraduate, didn't you? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I totally did. Okay. Yeah. And so I wrote away for this book about vet schools. Like it was, it was this review book that listed all 26 of them or however many we had at that point. Okay. And I was flipping through the books and I was looking, you know, we had the witchy schools, we had all these things. I was like, okay. And then I got to the page about the university of Georgia. Okay. And and the page about the university of Georgia talked all about it. And then it said them. University of Georgia grads graduate with the lowest average cumulative debt. Debt, 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 right. The low. Okay. So Georgia. All right. Then what? So Georgia. Yeah. And I was like, all right. Okay. And then a Peace Corps friend of mine who went to, she, um, uh, she went to Emory and mm-hmm. then went back to, uh, Georgia after the Peace Corps. She's like, come down to Georgia. You can go to Georgia state, do all your, uh, rest of your undergrad and then apply to Georgia and we'll live together and be great. And I was like, sure. Have your residency and yada, yada, I'll have yada, my residency. Right. I'll do all of that. I'll do all of that sort of stuff. And right. so I said, great, I'll do that. Uh, and so on like a wing and a prayer, I left Cambridge, Massachusetts, right next to MIT, spending my days in Harvard square. And I moved down to Georgia. Yeah, so different. So different. Now, my friend, in the t- in the three weeks between when we made these plans and yeah. when I moved, to, she moved to China. Wait, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. You know, like this is what Peace Corps volunteers do. We like up and move. On, yeah, the drop that's the- true. The ones I know are yeah, yeah, true. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's pretty true. Yeah, that's thing. yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm still moving to Georgia. So I moved to Buford, Georgia before the mall of Georgia was built. So So boring. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Then what happened? It was, it was like going to, I used to say, you know, I've been, I I worked in Jordan and I've worked in Georgia and um, (laughs) it is equally culturally challenging and putatively, we speak the same language when I go down to Georgia. And that was where the similarities ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had English, but that was it. Oh, my gosh. That was it. I so mean, I, was yeah, it. so I, I think that was a, a great idea and a great plan. And, and you bring up the point where people have the opportunity really to consider which veterinary school to go to if they make the right plans. Uh, so I, I noticed that you ended up getting into the scholarship program for the Army. Can you explain yeah. how that works? 
Yeah, sure. So what ended up happening is, is I went to Georgia, got residency, you you know, did all the rest of my classes, got into Georgia and started. Yeah. And then we had a careers course because they were, there were some, there were a couple of um, uh, veterinarians, Corey Brown and Chris King. He's a lab animal vet and it's Corey Brown, the pathologist of Corey, of the gray book, that Corey Brown, Mm -hmm. Um, both wonderful people. And both of them were, were looking at the state of veterinary medicine and encouraging, encouraging the students to look at a broader diversity of veterinary careers Mm -hmm. um, because there really are so many things we can do with the DVM. Correct. Yes. And so as part of careers course, they had the army recruiter come in. They had somebody from, you know, one of the previous graduating classes mm-hmm. who was, you know, probably, it was probably a guy at Fort Gordon and they came in and talked about being, what does it mean to be an army veterinarian? And I fell in love with the idea of becoming an army veterinarian and, and doing civil service, mm-hmm. you know, yes. and, going, and, and it's like the army equivalent of doing the, the peace corps. Right. And, and right. you get the travel and you get the travel. Right. right. And you got to remember at this point, we were already in Iraq and Afghanistan. We were yes. an army at war. Uh, I had so early two thousands. Early yeah. two, early yeah, 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So early two thousands. And I, so I was like, well, this seems cool. They'll pay for vet school. I'll get a stipend, all these. And it's, it, it seems like neat work. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be at that point, I wanted to be a lab animal veterinarian. And of course the all army right. had a fabulous, right. yeah. <laughs> Best laid plans. Keep <laughs> All right, go ahead. So the army shows up and the army shows up. People. You get the stipend, you, mm-hmm. they pay your way through school and then you, um, also have to do your some trainings. I remember yeah. that um, it, it was sort of like ROTC in a way. You had yeah. maybe your weekend trainings and then your two or three weeks, maybe four. Yeah, we had summer. to do, mm-hmm. yeah, I did active duty. We went on like act ADT, we called it active duty for training. And I did it all in their lab animal medicine program because the army lab animal medicine program is like one of the best in the world. Right. Right. I had, I mean, I tell you what, I had the whole thing mapped out. <laughs> right. I, I can well imagine. And then you, um, consequently though, how much time did you owe them once they well, would put you through? Yeah. Once, once they put, put me through, it was, I was on a four and four contract. So uh, no, a three and five, and then they changed it to four and four. So I was on a three and five, three years active, five years reserved. And I thought that would be no problem because I was going to go do my residency in lab animal medicine. And then I would serve and I would, you know, get out as a major and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that is, so that was, that was the plan. And, and I had, I had all these designs on deploying with civil affairs and. Right. That, oh, we didn't talk about that. Yes. That, yeah. That's right. You have the uh, you, opportunity. <laughs> the army tells you what you're going to do. <laughs> yes. And one of the things you can do uh, is, is go in and, and your deployment could be civil affairs, which again, probably spoke to your Peace Corps background. Peace Corps, mm-hmm. economics, I did a lot of poli-sci undergrad, like a lot of that, you know, like a lot of that stuff, like really fit. Um, and so what ended up happening is, is I, I didn't get the, I was first runner up my first year and I didn't get it. And so I reapplied second year. And I remember sitting there, I wrote this essay because all I really had to do was rewrite the essay, all my. Re- so when you say you didn't get in, the, there was, there, what happens is a board sits in the mm-hmm. army and they make the decisions about the candidates who've applied. 
And, um, and I went through that. Not many people realized that they had that when I was going through in the late 70s. And, oh, okay. I, and I had applied to the Air Force, not knowing that the mm -hmm. Air Force clinical veterinarians all went into the army and then they didn't have room for me, even though I'd passed the Air Force board and they didn't, they dropped the board ball and didn't put me into the second year application. Mm. So got it. Mm. I came away with a lot of debt. You were so smart. You still stuck with it and went for oh, yeah. the second year. That is incredible. So then what happened? Yeah. So then I, uh, I was, I was one of five people admitted that year, uh, mm -hmm. and out, out of, you know, however many bajillions right. of people, yeah. right? Right. Across um, all the veterinary schools. Yes. Right. Right. And I, um, and then I, uh, I commissioned, uh, I met my husband two weeks later. Oh, <laughs> okay. So that's I met him at a party two weeks later and, you know, and then I went through the rest of vet school, but I mean, it was really, it was really a gift. Like the army was really a gift because it gave me someplace that I could envision post vet school, you know, because you get in it, you're this close. You're like, oh my God, oh. I'm never going to pass boards. Right, I'm never right, going to make right. it through small animal internal medicine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of that like mental angst and drama, you knew there was an end. You knew you had a job and a good one with benefits. You knew- Don't forget the benefits back then, especially- the healthcare yeah. benefits alone were worth so much. We're worth mm -hmm. so much. Uh, yeah. You know, they still are. Family, uh, yeah, they still family, are. Yeah. Right. And that was a really big load off. And mm -hmm. then, you know, we came to senior year. Um, we went through the first round of uh, base selection and I didn't get any of my bases. And then they came back to me somewhere around Christmas and they're like, 29 Palms or Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. And I was like, Fort Monmouth. <laughs> So at, so at that point, when you talk about the base selection, generally, as uh, as a, a person who's in the service, you have the ability to put down your, they'll, they'll give you options, and then you can rank your options is what you're yeah. saying. And then right. even though you didn't get anything that was ranked in your options. I put, I put Great Lakes as my first choice, and somehow I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. So, so then you ended up New Jersey, did you say? Yeah, Fort Monmouth, okay. New Jersey. And it actually worked out really well because my husband lived in New Jersey and he did not have to change jobs. Okay. So we ended up buying a house like halfway between, he, he worked in Princeton and then Fort Monmouth is down the shore. Um, and we bought a house in between there in Freehold, New Jersey, which if you know, Bruce Springsteen, that's the town Bruce Springsteen is oh, from. Okay. And so this, so at this point you're commissioned and you were commissioned as a captain. And you had that rank when you were in veterinary school. In veterinary school, I was actually a butter bar. I was the second lieutenant. Okay. And then we went to, so it was, so we went to, um, I graduated as a second lieutenant. Uh, and then I got married, like I got married and graduated all within the space of like, and went on a honeymoon all within the space of like three weeks. Okay. And then um, we moved into our house in New Jersey, and then I disappeared down to Fort Sam uh, to do my officer basic. Basic. Oh, I went to that. Yes. Except yes. yours was active duty and mine was as a reservist. So yours was months long, correct? Mine. So I went, I was down at Fort Sam for, for 12 of the longest weeks, weeks of my of life. life. Yes. 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 Sam yes. Houston in June, July, and August. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I had rashes on parts of my body I did not know existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it I was, know. 
Yeah, you know, like a 12 mile ruck march and cat five heat and. <laughs> oh yeah, we had people going down with heat, heat oh, exhaustion sure. right, with the, right. and luckily we were army reserve uh, medical officers and mm -hmm. there were doctors in the troops so they could like begin to administer. Right, I know. Serious. I know. Yeah, I don't we completely 100% serious. This is Oh, true. yeah, absolutely. No, we were there with the dentists and the doctors and yeah, and it was we were old. You guys were active duty and you guys were young. We were yeah, all old. Yeah, yeah. So we had people in their yeah. 50s and 60s and even one person who was in their 70s. They needed medical officers. Yeah, a surgeon. They needed wow. so badly. I I I I said, "Well, what kind of bonus did they give you to join?" Right. <laughs> you know <laughs> but i'll tell you he was he was a guy who camped all the time he was fit he was good good for him, good for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so then um so then again three months because yeah you're active duty so they put you through that longer uh -huh. <laughs> right. yeah no it's you know and then i ended then i came home and yeah. i started and i reported to fort monmouth and and fort monmouth was a food inspection station. Uh, I had- And then you would have been also, and this is something people we touched on very briefly, was that you would have been the officer in charge. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. so yeah, welcome to the army. You have a little There's bit of time 21 soldiers. <laughs> where you get to learn how to be an officer. And then, um, oh, by the way, you just graduated vet school. And this was before the FIGV program, which Laura yes. talked about in this. In well before that seven, right before yeah well before so you were one of those that yes. met that challenge which was inordinate so yes. so yeah here, because yeah. they dropped me they dropped me at fort monmouth which is in the new york tri-state area i was in charge of food inspections for the new york tri-state area okay there is a huge amount of army of dod food that goes through new jersey like all of our flavorants go through go through the new like like factories on the new jersey turnpike i inspected the m m plant in hackettstown new jersey i inspected the place that makes the little tiny tabasco sauces i inspected the tabasco sauces yes those were so cute right so, i yeah. inspected skinny pop ice cream because it was made in new jersey oh, yeah yeah i did so, all so dare i ask was this your introduction to food safety oh yeah yeah this was but but what was really interesting is is I wanted to be a lab animal vet. I don't, you know I'm what? following. Yes, I completely got that. I'm following how there was the whole plan. There was, there was the, the lab plan. animal and uh, yeah. I was really good at food inspection because yeah. floors, walls, and ceilings, and standard operating procedures, good manufacturing practices, really Just don't spoke change. Spoke to your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Really Me don't too. change. They just and and so. I was, I loved going and doing my audits. I loved training people to do audits. I love, I loved all of it. I love it too. Yeah. You know, and it takes a special kind of person to love a food safety audit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's fine. And, and then what ended up happening is, is that, so I, I graduated from vet school in 06. I served on active duty till 09. And I was at Fort Monmouth and then I got transferred up to West Point. And so I was in charge of the army mascot mule program because I was the only person in the district who had any large animal experience. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I believe that, that yes, yes. I, I, I yeah. think that is the most exciting part people don't know about that we are handling military working animals, which can include um, equine as well right. as right. Uh, the canine. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, my mascot mules. So I'm 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 all in on Go Army Beat Navy. Right. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Good. I have uh-huh. a flag. We fly it. We had you know we had a good we had a good run for the past couple of years. So and then this year's football game was pretty good, even if we lost. So anyway, so that's what I did, and then. I ended up, um, I ended up, I, I got out. Um, I didn't have, my first commander was not a very good commander mm. and I didn't want to change. I, I didn't, I, I was like, if they accept her, this is not an organization for me. My mm. second commander was really much better. And he's like, but Michelle, I'm not going to try and talk you into it because this is the organization that kept her on board. Uh, and I was like, okay, so I ended yeah, up getting- that's really true. It's, um, it, it's hard to explain how hard it is when you have commanders that are the supervisors above you who are not supportive of you when you're trying to um, enact and, and back up the army regulations amongst your team. And, yeah. um, and, and that is uh, quite overwhelming at times if you are, <clears throat> excuse me, a rule follower, which um, you have to be to get into the military. You have to be a right. rule follower. Right. And, and then when you're trying to just have everybody on board so you can move the entire team forward as a team, as you do, everybody needs to be green, they said, you know, move them all forward. And then all of a sudden there's slackers or what have you. And then your commander doesn't really back you up and like, really, right. what? okay. Yeah, I had the same thing at the end. If they, I was up for getting promoted to a colonel. It could have happened anytime with my next boards. And um, uh, yeah, I admit, I really wanted that as well as the uh, excitement of being a, you know, a commander. I, I really loved that challenge. It would have gone up and up more and more. And then, you know, when you have commanders that, uh, you know, just don't support you, then uh, I was like, okay, you know what? I, I'm done. I want to go home and I want to live my life. But right. I do love and, and, and appreciate the Army. I'm so proud uh, to have been um, serving. And, um, and I, I very much appreciate the benefits. And now as a veteran, my benefits. Right. Yeah, so no, I, I imagine it's somewhat similar to you. And you would have been rolling into the reserve time at this point. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, so okay. I rolled into IRR, but you got to remember this was 2009. And mm-hmm. the war, we were in the, we're in the depths of the Great Recession. Oh, absolutely! That's when I joined, two thousand eight, and I got immediately deployed to Afghanistan. So, okay. yeah, and yeah. I did not know it was a recession. I just thought, like, oh, business is so bad, I got to go in the army. Right. Yeah. No, we were definitely <laughs> right. And, and again, I was trying to be a lab animal vet, and um, Pfizer fired half of their lab animal vets that year, and I was in New oh. Jersey. And I could not get a job. And if right. you couldn't get a job as right. a lab vet yeah. in New yeah. Jersey, there were no jobs to be had. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And what ended up happening is, is I, I was having, like, I had my kids around that time and I had kids with food allergies that I was trying to nurse and I was, and it was the burgeoning local food movement. And I was trying to find local meat. And so I, you know, I mean, I know, I know how to look up on the USDA directory because that was my job. Right. Yeah. And so I would find the local slaughterhouses and I would go and talk to them and they'd be like, Oh my God, the USDA is so hard. And I was like, but I, that guy comes to my office. Right. <laughs> like this right. is not. Yeah. And I ended up talking to farmers and producers and processors who were having all of this trouble with food safety. And I was, I was like, well, I do this. 
and what really truly ended up happening is, is I looked around and I was like, where is this local food movement taking off? It wasn't really taking off in New Jersey. And it was really like near where we were, it was taking off in the Hudson Valley in New York Mm -hmm. and it was taking off in Southern Maine. Um, And I was like, well, it's time to pick up and go to Maine. My mother is from Maine. We used to vacation in Maine. Like I love Maine. Right. And and so we, I I mean, we really, much like I pulled up stakes and left from Cambridge to go to Georgia, we pulled up stakes with kids this time um, to go from New Jersey to uh, to Maine. And I started my business in Maine when the largest uh, organic cattle producer in Maine, Raz Caldwell, came up to me at the Maine Ag Trade Show and said, hey, I hear you can write a HACCP plan. Huh? I was like, yeah. Right. Totally. 100%. That's exactly what we learned to do. Yes. Right. And then he said, can I pay you to write me a HACCP plan? I was like, yep. And that is how my business was born. <laughs> Oh, you know, that is so interesting. So you, you went to a trade show Mm -hmm. and were you going just as a a person or did you have an, were you in the exhibit hall with a booth? No, I definitely did not. I didn't have business at that time. So I didn't have, but I had called, um, the, the state meat and poultry veterinarian because Maine was one of the states still is that had a meat and poultry inspection program. And I called Henrietta and I said, tell me, you know, like, tell me about this. What's the need in the state. And I mean, I, I swear to God, she talked to me for like an hour. Uh And I was like, I would love for you to come and consult on this. Mm -hmm. And, and so she started talking to people uh, and I went to the trade show. I took part. They had a USDA presentation and, and I can, I mean, like I can network with a brick wall. And so I, you know, even back then I was absolutely willing to go up to people, tell them who I am and make offers to help them, which is what I do as an entrepreneur. And that's what I did. And I got two clients out of that one trade show, which made me, I think I made $16,000 my first year. Mm -hmm. But when you're starting a business and you're learning how to do this, that feel, I mean, it might as well have been a million dollars. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And And I I venture to guess that you were, a lot of your time was spent just developing your own forms and deciding how you were going to catalog and and just setting up the business. And then dare I say, specifically setting up a food safety consulting business. And at that time, what did you call your business? Uh, When I started, I was Dirigo Quality Meats uh, because I was going to help meat production companies not only do their food safety, but use that veteran status. And I was going to broker deals to get into commodity, to get local food into commodity meats. Mm -hmm. And that turned out to be way more work than I wanted to put into it. So I just did the food safety consulting. And it was, I mean, it's like, it's not that hard for me to write a HACCP plan Mm -hmm. and So I do. And then what ended up happening is my business grew like exponentially. I mean, I made $16,000 my first year. I think I made $96,000 my second year. I doubled again the third year. Mm. And I was, I was busy. It was so much fun. And I was writing these HACCP plans and I would like hand people binders full of documents or, you know, hard drives full of documents. And they'd look at me and they'd be like, okay, Dr. P, now what do I do? <laughs> oh, and, and let me backtrack a little. How did you come up with the name Dorigo? 
Dirigo. Dirigo is, uh, it's the state motto of Maine. It's Latin for I lead. Oh, how did I miss that? I did not know Right? Well, Maine people would know that, so. Yeah, and Maine people absolutely knew that, right? And we are leading the way for food safety. Hmm? Beautiful. Great. So how did that segue into, when, when did it come up that you got involved with the coaching? So here's what is, so here's what happened. Okay. I had, I was doing consulting projects up and down the East coast. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because of my army training, I could write a food safety plan for literally anything. Okay. Right. You're right. And I was literally anything. Sure. Right. Exactly. And so I had a fisheries client. Okay. So fisheries HACCP is this whole separate ball of wax, but I could write a fisheries HACCP plan. Um, I was fisheries HACCP trained. I, you know, all those, all those things. Right. And uh, I went out to Long Island in January, the end of January, one year uh, to do a, to help a fish plant get ready for a third party audit so they could sell into New York city. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they, and, and they were, I was invited down. They knew what they had to do, all these sorts of things. Well, to get from Maine to the end of Long Island, you, you drive straight down, you go to New London where the Coast Guard Academy is, uh-huh. and then you get on a uh, boat and you traverse Long Island Sound. And I waved to Plum Island. So a lot of, a lot of us in the public health sphere work at Plum Island. I did six fabulous weeks at Plum Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you land at Orient Point, New York, and it normally what you do is you take two more little tiny ferries across a couple of creeks on Good Long grief. Island. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go from you go from the North Shore to the South Shore. So, so you had a tra- you had a day, a travel day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And a travel day. Yeah. In a blizzard. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. And I had to actually drive from the North Fork all the way in and then all the way back out to the South Fork because the ferries were shut down. From oh, North. seriously? Okay. Yeah. Seriously. We have that thing here on the island. If the ferries are not working or whatever happens, then we have to drive around. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. just yeah, right. That's the thing. You could be thing, taking, right? yeah, it had two, three hours to your trip, no matter what happens when a ferry is involved sometimes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I was, you know, I was driving and I was like, I, I was starting to look at like, uh, listen to entrepreneurship podcasts and trying to, you know, like learn what it means to be a female CEO. This is really, you know, this is like, I'm making several hundred thousand dollars a year. I have people, I have to manage them. So, you know, like listening to podcasts, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. As my coach says, learning is my love language. And so <laughs> I, um, I went, I, I, so I started to hear coaches on these podcasts and I went out to this fisheries, um, and I had taken the very first ferry at six o'clock and I got to the, I got to the, the, the pier around 1030 and the guy was busy and I was like, okay, I'll just look around, you know, usually they meet you and go around. I was like, but I can go do, you know, like my preliminary audit, tell you what my findings are. We can talk about the paper, all that sort of stuff. So I did that. Okay. And I, and, and the guy was storing his surfing gear in his fish production room. Um, <laughs> and did he, you say his surfing gear? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. And he had a bathroom that opened right up onto the production floor. 
okay. <laughs> right. And so I was like, well, this is suboptimal. We're going to have to work on fixing these things. Okay. So I do, you know, I walk around for 45 minutes, an hour. I have a whole list of things. I meet him in the office. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. I start talking about it. 10 minutes into it, he stands up. He says, this is extortion. I'm going surfing. It's still blizzarding out, by the way. And so he grabs his surfboard off the wall of the production facility, right? Grabs his wetsuit, puts it all in the back of his truck and drives off. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Right. Well, imagine I chase after him. I'm like, (laughs) no, I can fix this. And he drove off and I was out there in a blizzard in Long Island, not in a coat. And I was like, Michelle, what are you doing? And what just happened? Yeah. What just happened? What just happened? Right. Right. Exactly. And I was, I was, I, and I mean, that was like the low point in my business. Sure. And I said, oh, absolutely. We're going to wonder what did we do wrong? Um, How did we talk? Question ourselves, not realizing that anybody who has surfing gear and has violations that are so apparent um, has problems themselves. And really, yeah. Right. But I was in no space. Yeah. And if anything, you came across very logically and you were trying to give him all this information. And if anything, look, your problem, you overwhelmed him. But how is that really your fault when you were doing your job? And yeah, yeah, on and on. Am I right? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's exactly. And so, and, and, and I told myself, I was like, Michelle, if that was a guy, you know, let him walk out the door. Right. Like I never chased a guy in my whole entire life. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, of course. Right. right. And I was going to chase a client. Yeah. Hell no. Right. Right. And so I found one of the, like one of the podcasts I had listened to on the way in was the life coach school podcast with Brooke Castillo. Okay. Okay. And I was like, oh my God, she is speaking directly to me. I don't know. She, I don't even know what the episode was, mm-hmm. but she was talking directly to me. And so we, it did end up getting a little bit fixed and I stayed there over, like I, I did the best I could to, to fulfill the contract. Right. And I, and, and what ended up happening was, was I, I signed up for self-coaching scholars as Brooks program on the ferry ride on the way home. I've been in the program for four years now. Uh, and it coaching changed my life. It changed my business. And it was the, the effect was so profound. Wow. I was like, oh my God, I have to bring this to my people. And by your people, you meant food manufacturers. Okay. Mm -hmm. I meant food manufacturers, local food manufacturers who are so overwhelmed by the USDA process. Yeah. FISMA was just coming out at that. Uh, Yeah. 2000, um, what, it was 16 somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was starting to roll out. It was yeah. coming out and Bieber were frightened. They were overwhelmed. Yeah. They didn't know what to do. That is all a coaching problem. That is all a coaching problem. Oh. I tell all of my people, look, you, you haven't killed anybody yet, right? Uh, you're probably doing 90% of food safety correctly, right? <laughs> And now we just have to document it. Mm -hmm. Most people know what they're doing for heaven's sake. What a beautiful approach. I mean, that's so elegant. 
it's to the point, it's elegant, it is calming. Even, even yeah. I, who am not manufacturing anything this moment, I hear that, but the way you say it, your tone of voice, your delivery, and those words, it's like, oh, I could breathe. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's really comforting sure. to know that you're doing most things correctly. <laughs> yes, yes. Because my clients really are doing most things correctly. They're trying to be ethical, but also make a living at something they feel that it, right. it's important to them. Yes. Right. And then the other thing is, is that if you think about how food safety came to us, right? Mm -hmm. So our food safety laws, and I'm not going to go through, you know, 1908 and the jungle and, you know, people. Yeah, I was going to say we hadn't had a, a food safety uh, law come into play safety. for about a hundred years. Then yeah, it came into play and everybody's freaking out. But Right, exactly. Yeah, so but, true. you know, I mean, it's, 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 you've never been able to poison your neighbors. This has never been a thing. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. And so what I, what I looked at was, okay, if they're doing the actions of food safety correctly, mm -hmm. most of these people do not get into food because they are naturally very good at paperwork. Okay. This oh, yeah. <laughs> not a thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. people, they fall in love with their product mm -hmm. and they see their product as world changing. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally bought into that scenario, mm -hmm. right? I am totally bought into pastured pork and grass fed, you know, beef and dairy and all that, you know, local food and local processing. But most of these people came up from the restaurant industry and don't know the difference between cooking and manufacturing. Okay. Some of these people, they're family businesses. Okay. <laughs> and I really do think every family business needs its own coaching. <laughs> and all of the problems that I saw with people were because they didn't know how to manage their minds. Mm -hmm. It isn't, they didn't know how to cook to 165 degrees and mm -hmm. cool the product in three hours. That was not the problem. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to manage their minds that they not only had to do that, but they had to write it down. Oh. And then they had to go back and check on the paperwork, right? Mm -hmm. And- So that process is missing because that's not really taught anywhere, so to speak, mm. other, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much what it is. So this developed into your, your university? Yeah. No. Okay. So what ended up happening is, is I saw this need and I experimented uh, with a lot of ways of delivering content to people to help them with their mindset. And I had a lot of failures. I am not going to lie. I failed a lot and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. and was, that was your podcast part of that as far well, as a podcast, way of delivering content? Yeah. The podcast was the goal of the podcast was to convert customers and it okay. never did that. Mm -hmm. I thoroughly all enjoyed all four years that I podcasted. I delivered solid information. I had amazing interviews. I had, I mean, it's a beautiful podcast, but it had just run its course. Exactly. Well, let me tell you something I learned the other day, which was in some ways a shock to me. Uh, I have been pursuing something that you had in fact talked to me about a year and a half ago, and mm. that is my own pet food safety consulting business and put together, uh, uh, contracted to have a beautiful website done and, and really pursued my personal podcast of Pet Food Vet and so forth. And, and I, that's a labor of love for me, as is 
this set of podcasts that I'm doing for our national association. But um, I, I didn't, again, realize any, uh, you know, conversion to customers kind of thing. And, and I, that puzzled me for a while. And then one day I was talking to my sister, who I told you about. She's a, an accountant and she's brilliant. And uh, she says, but Donna, your, your website is, it, it, it markets you. So mm -hmm. there's just something else out there for you and keep your website going and keep your podcast going because uh, this is really who you are and you're putting yourself out there. So you're, you're essentially uh, telling the world uh, all about who you are and then mm -hmm. the, right, the right career path will come again in front of you, which is very mm -hmm. amusing because this might be my fifth career or whatever of what I will be doing. And but so- the beauty of a DVM, Ugh, right? Yeah, which is what we could do because we have a DVM, right. And right. so I, 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 I didn't comprehend really and felt somewhat guilty, let's say, that this hadn't, this was my plan, but it had not come to the logical fruition. Sure. And so, but by the same token, I recognize what she said because at the end of the day, I was producing content. And it was content about myself, who I am, what I do, what I'm passionate about, what I love, what I'm, my ethics and my mm -hmm. level of commitment. So dare I say, four years of you podcasting, that is 100% a testament of who you are as an individual. You have just shown the world all of that about you, that labor of love that yeah. you gave away, that information. Yeah. And, and ultimately, this created who you are your presence on the mm -hmm. internet as well so right. I, I i'm certain that worked in your favor still again not doing things like oh i gotta make this money and yada yada no it's not about that at the end it's a labor of love it really is right right and 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 so that's and and i used podcasting and talked to people on the podcast to better inform me about what the need is out there in the in my target market of food manufacturers. Oh and yes, that's what we call listening in marketing. Mm -hmm. That is exactly a whole yeah. thing of yeah, you listen, you're talking, you're discussing, you're listening to what they need. Yes. Right. So exactly. go on. How did that affect what and, you and began so to create? What that did, one is it taught me the skill of listening to my customers. And then it also, the journey has taught me, like, I love entrepreneurship. I like, if you look at my human design, I'm a generator and I've got a heart center and, and we look at all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, I'm like the, the people who are supposed to be an entrepreneur. Right. But what that means is, is that I give myself plenty of space to fail and let things teach me lessons, right? Because so they're my, not really a failure. Let's just say no. that. They no. they're a learning, they're a learning opportunity. And absolutely. It, and if you're like me, where you've always just pushed yourself, push, push, push to achieve, 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 then if you don't hit that achievement, you'll wallow in that sense of doom and failure without realizing right. that this was a learning opportunity. It's a huge mind shift. I can't even begin to say, I wish somebody would have just really made me own that a long time ago. It's something mm -hmm. I eventually learned, but it sounds like you came into it very quickly in some ways because of perhaps your coaching. Yeah, right. And when you learn to manage your mind and you learn, I mean, my, you know, truly 
Like my success is inevitable. I have the most elegant solution for food safety for any food manufacturer out there. And I have that because I listened to my customers. I focus on my customers. We're working on like design and how can we make it accessible and what, you know, all these sorts of things and doing four years of podcasting taught me how to do that. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now if I hadn't shown up week after week after week for all 40 listeners. Wow. Right. But, th- but then again, that body of work is still available. Absolutely. Yeah, so Absolutely. What, what is your, what is your podcast called? It's called food safety university, just like my product. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you yes. can go find it's, it, you know, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple podcasts, it's on everything. Right. And go give it a listen and, you know, tell me what you think. And, uh, and, and then what I, what I transitioned to was going over to LinkedIn and doing stuff on LinkedIn, which was another way to experiment, you know, because when you, when you have the kind of niche that you and I have, mm-hmm. right. Pet food manufacturers and food manufacturers, where do those people hang out? You know, because the marketers are all like, go where your people are. And we're like, and where are the people? <laughs> okay, right, right, where right. Are the people, right? Yeah. And, and, and so learning where, I, it's been a long journey of learning where they're not. <laughs> okay. But that's okay. Because I'm so dedicated to the idea that we can create stronger and more profitable companies through food safety. And by doing that, so we create economically revitalized communities. We create stronger urban areas. We create stronger rural areas because in the core of my being, I am an army officer and I believe that food security is national security. Yes, yes, food security, yes. Mm -hmm. Food security is national security. And when we can feed ourselves, that matters. And when communities can feed themselves, that matters. Well, that's, yeah, that's essentially we have on the island because everybody, oh, you got to get stuff brought in. It costs a lot of money. But we have, we now have a grower's hub that that, that created uh, during the pandemic. Whoever did that, thank you so much. The Whidbey Islands Growers Hub and all the local farming everything is local and you can go there. You don't have to belong to anything. It's not a club. It's, it's a hub and you go on there, you order your stuff, then you go pick it up your sacks of things and you have it for the week. And uh, it's a concept, but it allowed us to say, okay, if things shut down and we can't get a supply chain to the Island, we, we do have our own food we food. have ways of feeding ourselves and that's incredibly important yeah and very proud of it and this my and and the mindset to implement food safety and to do the right thing the right way every single time you do it to have accountability right mm-hmm. and as my coach chris plackey says accountability is not an event accountability is a conversation and having those conversations all, when when the little things pop up, hey buddy, why didn't you write down that? Why didn't you write down that temperature, right? And coaching people to ask powerful questions to get the right answers, you know, because the reasons the reasons people don't do food safety at work are generally because they either feel physically unsafe at work. Okay, I've had that happen. I had somebody who who was a uh, short waiting. Um, uh, short waiting 
cans or jars that they were hot filling because by filling them up all the way to the top, they risked third degree burns. Mm -hmm. Okay. What person making 15 bucks an hour is risking third degree burns on their hands? Zero. <sighs> Wow. Right? right. And so it took, it took one very hard conversation with management and 15 minutes in the processing floor to realize that we could turn something 90 degrees and solve that problem. But we had to, I had to ask the problem. I had mm. to teach people how to have conversations, hard conversations about why are we doing it this way? Are, are you feeling physically safe here? Are you feeling financially safe here? Because people don't feel financially safe in food manufacturing. The money's always going to run out. I'm spending the boss's money. I'm not making enough money. They're like these really pernicious um, financial conversations. And then we ask, are you emotionally safe? Racism, sexism, the Me Too movement, like... All sorts of things happen on food manufacturing floors where oh people gosh. don't feel safe. I mm. had no idea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's a big deal. And so how, and then what I'm constantly asking myself is, how can we, how can I, you know, me and my company, create process that people buy into so that the natural outcome of their work mm -hmm is food that conforms to specification because uh, that's what we're going after that's yeah, the definition that is, of quality that, that, that is the goal <laughs> but but because you're being so careful about uh finding out specifics for each company unique company right. you have mm -hmm. to create a unique way of accomplishing that to meet their needs they're not going to fit a cookie cutter it's not a no, none of, of my people, none of my people fit a cookie cutter. I don't do commodity foods. Uh, and I, I work, I, you know, I work with local and sustainable food manufacturers and I know them and I, and I understand them. And I have people on my team, like I have this fabulous project manager who's been through the process herself. And mm -hmm. she is, I mean, she is the patience of Job and she, <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's every I, I mean, I thought I could dot every I and cross every T and then I met Karen. <laughs> so at this point, you've had uh, the, the Food Safety University going for how long? Well, I completely, so I had, it started as something different. It started as the power group uh, mm -hmm. and I started that back before the pandemic. So I probably started that in 2018. I reinvented it in 2019. I saw the rebranding and the, yeah. the emails because I'm on your email list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we read, I, it didn't, I worked, I worked as hard as I could to make it work the way I'd originally envisioned it and it wasn't working for people. And so we burn it all down and we go back to the drawing board. Uh, so I did that. And then I re came out with, um, I did a lot of one-on-ones in that time, trying to figure out what people needed and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we rebranded and we re came out with food safety university. We put it on one set of software. We put it on Google classrooms, um, and invited people in, in a beta test. We upgraded, uh, this time last year to a Kajabi system okay. and re and did kind of like the beta version. We did alpha and beta. Um, and we've been on that okay. system since the, I've really been selling it this way since the fall. Mm -hmm. And it's been phenomenally successful. People love the program. I'm rolling out a referral program 
now. So we, it's almost like an affiliacy program. So if you like, oh, food, like being an ambassador or an affiliate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, because a hundred percent of my business, like I looked and a hundred percent of my business comes from referrals. So I'm no longer doing paid marketing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no more Facebook right, ads. Yeah. yeah. You've done so much by, by creating your own content through the years. And, and now you're going to, essentially it's digital marketing and the, yeah. the affiliate or ambassador is the next logical step. That, yep. That's fantastic. I was so impressed when I saw how you rebranded to Food Safety University. I Believe me, I've been watching. Uh, I just, uh, when I said, before we actually turned on the record button for this, folks, I said to her, yeah, you're ahead of your time. And, and, and that, is, that is really true. I, uh, that resonates with me. I come up with ideas sometimes and people, I have to actually create the entire thing because mm -hmm. there's no template, you oh. know, and people are just standing back going, what's the bonus doing now? But it's, and you're very much the same. That's why we're friends. And <laughs> it's been, it, it's, it's just been amazing. I, you know what I love? Um, I love that, that this was a fantastic time to talk to you in depth about how your veterinary career evolved in, in very much different manifestations of your business, I think mm -hmm. is how I would put it. Is that, yes. is that pretty much the case? Because we yes. went from <laughs> lab animal medicine, army veterinarian, food safety, what, it like, yeah, army did the same thing to, to me, food safety. <laughs> and I loved it. I love food. I love animals. It's all good. Yes. Right, and, exactly. And here we are many years and it's later. It's been a beautiful, beautiful journey. I love it. I'm really good at it. It's, it's, it's really gratifying. Not everybody gets the privilege to do what they're good at, what, what makes enjoy. a difference in the world that gets paid the way I get paid. That's, I mean, like the level of privilege that I have to work with the people that I have. I mean, people trust me with their family business. They trust me with their dreams. They trust me with, you know, they're so afraid when they have a recall, you know what I mean? And yeah. I get to create space for that. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is, that is quite remarkable. So I do know when we were chatting last year that um, you had a move coming up, you made the move because the last we talked in a moment ago, it was Maine and now... <laughs> Ohio. Now it's Ohio. So now okay, I live so in what happened? What, what, what up, what came in front of you that like, well, oh, so this move. is one of the, one of the things. Okay. So I move at the drop of the hat and, you know, did it, <laughs> I've done it before, probably will do it again. And I had an, I had an economic opportunity to go build, um, my lockers. So I have a patent on an upcycled shipping container to turn it into a food, a, a meat manufacturing facility. And what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, first I heard patent. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so I have patent <laughs> over, there. <laughs> so, so. over there somewhere. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm I'm so. good. I'm okay. I'm good. I just kind of couldn't breathe for a second when you were like patent. I don't know why that was so yeah. So so I have I have a patent and I moved out here because I had a manufacturer who was gonna who was gonna help me manufacture these. Uh, and we moved here and to take to take advantage of economic opportunity. It happened at a good time. Uh, you know, my yeah. kids were doing very badly in homeschooling during the pandemic. 
Uh, we lived in the woods in Maine. There were no kids around us. And we saw this as an opportunity to downsize, get rid of a lot of our stuff, become responsible for a lot fewer things so we could concentrate on our children and concentrate on growing the business. Mm-hmm. And so I remember moving out here. I was driving on, um, I was, I was driving through New York, through upstate New York, um, and thinking, well, if this doesn't work and I have just made a really colossal mistake, um, I know I can feed the family because I am a damn good coach and somebody out there will pay me for my coaching. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And I was like, all it takes is a dollar and a dream, Michelle. Let's go figure out if we can do this. Mm -hmm. And working with that manufacturer, not going to lie, hasn't worked out the way that I want it to. Um, There were a lot of contributing factors, not the least of which was the supply chain imploding. Very, Mm -hmm. very hard to upcycle shipping containers when there are no shipping containers anymore. And then then the tiny house movement has come into play and shipping containers now cost a lot more money. Yeah, exactly. And so I I have no doubt that my idea will come back around. I'll make it work. I've, Mm -hmm. you know, because I just know that I will like, it's the same way. I mean, today's my 16th wedding anniversary. I knew I was going to marry my husband two weeks after I met him Mm -hmm. and I know I'm going to make this work. It's just not working right now, but that doesn't mean it's a failure. It doesn't mean our adventure out here is a failure because we have learned so much that I'm so grateful for. Mm -hmm. And so we're here in the burbs of Ohio. I work out of my, I work out of my house. Um, my husband works for me. He works out of the basement. I work out of the office, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and, and we have built a really quite amazing, amazing life. Um, and it's been, it's been great because I, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm a fantastic coach of myself and other people. And that has allowed me to live in a pretty perpetual state of, either life is great or when it sucks, I can handle this. (laughs) Sure. And, and, and really by, by coming up with these ideas and saying, okay, it might not be the time for this right now. Doesn't mean it cannot manifest itself a different way. And Mm -hmm. um, actually I'll talk to you offline and about something along those lines. Not that I have answers, but um, my (laughs) mind works in really interesting ways and and let's face it we're all exposed to different things i'm sitting here Mm -hmm. in my office when i left my house was completely organized and set up the way i wanted before i got into the army and ended up deploying and deploying and deploying and then working near my unit when i was in the oh my gosh so i was gone i came back and my office was turned into my son's project room and um he's going to school as a mechanical engineer and has three 3d printers Oh and God. I've got this tiny, <laughs> tiny little space. My office is now three by three. Oh, good for but, you. Yeah. So here I am. This is my, my chair is my office. And uh, Right? <laughs> yeah. But no, the good news is I'm with my, my kids. My kids are so, so incredible. They, they have, again, like run things when I wasn't here. And, um, you know, uh, I love it. Who gets to say they um, get to be in a multi-generational setup with, uh, you know, 12 acres on beautiful Whidbey Island and, you know, yeah. So I mean, that's amazing. And, you know, to tie it back to our veterinary careers, 
One of the gifts, and it has, I'm not going to lie, it has taken me a very long time to decide that my DVM is a gift. You know, I mean, less Mm -hmm. than 50% of us would recommend this profession to somebody else. Right. But my, one of the many gifts that my DVM has given me is the ability to assess what is actually going on and be flexible as to the response. Okay, right. And sometimes we don't articulate what you just said, but that is the way we do handle things as a rule as veterinarians. Right. So in, 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 in looking back on, on your career as a veterinarian, which has had a few manifestations, uh, I, I noticed that, um, you know, it, it leans very heavily, of course, into entrepreneurship and, uh, and as you said, creating um, with a patent. I, I mean, obviously, your, your mind from going to a economics, geology, <laughs> way over to here, uh, who would have, would you have been able to predict? No, no. no but you're so happy where you are and you have a lot to offer still the profession because I, I, I do want everyone to know that, you know, Michelle has worked within our organization, Food Safety Public Health Veterinarians with wearing different hats. And, mm-hmm. uh, and she, she still re, re, is very highly involved in it. So she, she devotes and volunteers uh, time to doing that as well. And, um, you know, and I, I appreciate that so much. I'm a so big much. believer in organized veterinary medicine. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, say that one more time. I'm a big, I am a big believer in organized, organized veterinary medicine. medicine. Right. I, I think I, I really, organized veterinary medicine makes our profession, you know, a lot of what it is. Can and, we do better? Of course. But in order to do better, you got to be involved in the conversation. And, and, and this is where I, again, want to speak to uh, veterinarians who are out there listening. Even if you're a clinical veterinarian, you're thinking, oh, what else can I do with my DVM? This is certainly the the podcast for you because we are talking about different careers but one thing that has been a thread that's in every single episode has been networking as well as organized veterinary medicine to bring you uh, these opportunities but what's important is what can we change what can we do to make things what where can we have some effect where can we really learn to be leaders within veterinary medicine. And and honestly, it is this organization. Right now, we will be making a transition. I will be stepping down as president. I had a two-year training time uh, as uh, a president-elect, and then two years serving in office. And uh, I will be stepping down this summer, fall timeframe. And uh, Angela Demery, a veterinarian, will be taking over from me as president. At this point, we're looking for a number of, uh, we have a number of openings. We're looking for a new president-elect. And, and it is, it's not a huge time sink, but it is a, a commitment in terms of, of being uh, you know, available and, and for, for meetings. And you have the opportunity to learn how to lead in veterinary medicine. If this is something that speaks to you and you're saying to yourself, I want to make a difference. I want to, I, I, I foresee that some type of a change is necessary. I don't know where or how to make that happen. You know, at least talk to me. 
right. about it. There, there, there may be that opportunity with our organization for you to come into the leadership position, work as a leader in this organization, use this as a jumping off point to go further, even to AVMA as a leader, which right. is a distinct possibility because we have oh, representatives absolutely. from our organization who actually represent and are, are helping to enact law. Well, I'm, the, I'm the incoming delegate to the legislative advisory committee and I will be that for the next six years. And we have, we have deep effects on laws that affect veterinarians. And it's, you know, there are so many opportunities within our organizations. We have small groups that do things we have that are very, you know, like very focused and, and that sort of thing. And, but if you have any like love for, working in the government, working as a veterinarian, doing doing some of the neat things that we do as veterinarians, all of those people who hire are part of our organization. The networking opportunities at the Food Safety and Public Health Vets are completely unparalleled. We have, like, I'm not kidding, we have the best people who, who like are part of our organization. And they always share when there's right. things coming up, you find out behind the scenes. And I'm very proud to say, that one of the things uh, we are going to be having with our new revised website, which is being built over the next two months, is a job board. It's fully oh, automated. It is something that we we just didn't have the personnel staff to take on. You know, oh, put up uh, put up jobs, take them to. You know, what, no, there was this one will be fully automated, and and this this is a, this is a huge chance for people to see jobs as they come over that pertain specifically to these uh, these types of uh, food safety and public health jobs for veterinarians. And so I, I just am so excited about that. We have other things that are available to do within our organization. So um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put that in the show notes. And I'm Excellent. also going to put that information. Um, Michelle, what information will you share with us to put into the show notes? Certainly a way to contact you uh, for coaching, as an example. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so, you know, we talked about my coaching journey, and I primarily coach food manufacturers and consult with food manufacturers, but I also work with uh, people who work in highly regulated industries. So I have clients who come for one-on-one -on -one life coaching, okay, figuring it all out, and they all work in highly regulated industries. I, I work with people in hedge funds and medical devices. In I work with some other coaches, uh -huh. all that sort of stuff. So I have a limited number of one-on-one -on -one slots available. And coaching will change. Coaching will change your life. And so mm -hmm. if you wanna, the easiest way to come find me is find me on LinkedIn. I'm actually Dr. Hassip on LinkedIn. So we'll put we'll put that link in the show sure. notes. Mm -hmm. If you are interested in Food Safety University, you can go download our 12 Steps of HACCP program, like process. Uh, it's the best, I swear to God, it's the best HACCP, uh, like handout out there in the market. And that's at foodsafetyuniversity.com. I would love to talk to you. I always have time to talk to other veterinarians. And thank yeah, you so she much does. for having oh, she's, me on the show. She's talked to me. Yeah, she's <laughs> so much. <laughs> What a what a what a pure joy! Uh, again, this has been an honor to to do these these types of interviews, and and uh, and I can't tell you how excited I am to share your journey with everyone. And and as we close, uh, dare I say that you have perhaps one final word about looking back on your career 
what do you have to say that was, let's say, a high point of being a veterinarian and where it has affected where you are now? I would say one of my high points of being there's I do this thing as a as a veteran actually you should well you're all the way on the other side of the country but you should go to this uh so I have a buddy down in Milledgeville Georgia a guy named John Jackson okay he <laughs> runs Comfort Farms um, okay and he has a boucherie on Martin Luther King Day weekend um, and all of these veterinarian uh, veterinarians all these veterans come to his farm okay and it is he is creating a farm as a healing center for veterans so i bring my family every year okay and i'm you know i i teach there and we if you go find comfort farms on instagram you can see me and what we do uh is i spend the weekend teaching people how to do farm to fork food safety. Oh, it's fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So that comfort farms, we'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah. Okay, go so ahead. go, go to, we'll link to John's Instagram account. And, and so as I'm, a veteran and a veterinarian, this is a high point. Okay. Beautiful. Right. As a veteran, veteran, because I'm, we, you're a vet squared. I'm a vet squared. There are like 3000 of us or something. And I think they're all part of our organization. Yeah. And, um, and so what I get to do is I get to take everything I learned in vet school. Okay. I get to take everything I learned as, as a soldier uh-huh. and then everything I've learned as an entrepreneur and coach. And I get to talk to veterans who are trying to make a difference in their communities with food. Wow. Beautiful. They raise food for people. They slaughter animals for people. They raise crops, they run farmers markets uh-huh. and they, and I get to help them like do that more effectively. Like what on earth? Like, how is that my life? Um, Oh, that's beautiful. That's that. So you, you probably just came away from that, but you said Martin Luther King weekend, Martin Luther King day weekend. If you are, if you are a veteran, it's an, it's like basically an open invitation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you are a veteran veterinarian and you don't know what to do, I, we have, we run the kids fire because we have kids. And so we have a big old bonfire. We spend a lot of, I spend a lot of the weekend with my feet propped up, warming my toes, somebody next to me talking about how are we going to change the world? (laughs) Right on. Beautiful. What a fantastic time that sounds like. Well, thank you so much. We have a lot to put in the show notes because of our past hour and a half with you. I do this every time. I swear I'm going to stick around an hour. It can't, it's impossible. And I'm not going to edit this down. I think that, that it has, uh, it's a wealth of information. For those of you who like to watch this on YouTube, this episode is exactly the same on YouTube, except you get to see our smiling faces. And on. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who like to drive or, or do whatever and, and listen to a podcast, we the exact same audio will be on that. And so with that, I say goodbye to everyone. I'll see you all next week with another episode on Friday. And thank you so much again, Michelle. You take care and I'll see you all soon. Bye. Hello, folks. This is Dr. Donna DeBonis. I'm the president of the American Association of Food Safety and Public Health Veterinarians. I encourage you to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. 